Now, some are thinking, I don't know about that decision, Pastor. The decision to go and serve in kids' area for you might be a very difficult decision. For others of you, no, because you love children. But really, in all of life, making decisions, there's some easy ones, and then there's some not-so-easy ones. Like for me, when my wife makes some chocolate cake, and I like chocolate cake, and so if you ever want to make me brownies or cookies, you know, I would never turn them away. You know, it's just shameful. I'll let you know that here up front. But for me, the decision is, am I going to have one big piece of cake, or am I going to have a second big piece of cake? That's a hard decision sometimes. You're like, well, I don't know because it's not very healthy to have a fifth cookie, but I, I want to. But I make the decision typically to stop at one or at most two because it's not good for me, but it's a decision nonetheless. But there are other decisions that are much more significant than how much dessert you're going to have. And by the way, as a church, we have big decisions to make as well. And some decisions are pretty easy for us. Like, are we going to sing on a Friday morning? Ariza, what do you think? Yes. Easy decision. We're going to praise God together. Are we going to pray together? Yes, we are going to do that. Are we going to hear the gospel proclaimed? Yes. Those are not hard decisions. The Bible is clear. We're commanded to do it by our resurrected Savior. And so there are certain things that we're going to do that's non-negotiable, that's not too complicated. We're going to do those things. But there are other decisions that as a church we have to make that aren't always so clear-cut, aren't always so easy. They're much more complex, much more difficult. And so I'll give you an example of this with the early church in Antioch, where you had a new church that had grown, and they had amazing leaders. And they knew that they had to go and plant more churches. They were not convinced that having their one little fellowship was sufficient for the kingdom of Christ. They knew we need to go and plant more churches. So that wasn't a hard decision. The hard part for them was how. How are you going to go plant churches? Who? who? Who is going to go do this? And so those kind of questions along the lines of how and how is it going to work and who's going to do it, those kind of questions are sometimes much more challenging. They knew what, but they didn't know exactly how. And so what did they do? Acts 13, verses 1, 2, and 3 describe what they did. Now, there were in the church at Antioch, Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So these leaders, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them Did you catch that? There were three things the church did when they had this decision on them. We have these leaders. Which ones are to go? Where should we go? What should we do? They didn't know. They were at a point of decision. They did three things. You see here, one, it says they worshipped. You see that? In verse 1, I'm sorry, in verse 2, rather. And then what you also see is they prayed. Twice it says they prayed. But the third thing, so they worshipped, they prayed, and they fasted. You see, most churches do the first two. Most churches will pray, and most churches will worship. 
all of us do that, we should at least be doing that. But the third one, fasting, typically is not done. That is the third of these spiritual focuses that the early church did when they were at a point of saying, God, we're desperate for you, like we just sang. We need you. We need you to guide us. We need your direction. They prayed, they worshiped, and they fasted. See, in a Muslim country where we live, we're not guaranteed a place to meet. We're not. We're, we're not guaranteed that God will provide for us a place to meet, but God has been so gracious to us, and he's provided the Emirates Park Zoo, and we're very thankful to them and their leadership. And I met with a few of the leaders just last week, and they said, if you love meeting here, we want you to keep meeting here. And I said, well, praise God, alhamdulillah, you know, absolutely. And, and he said, all I ask is you pray for us. All I ask is that you continue to pray for the zoo, that God will bless it. And I said, well, we'll keep praying for the zoo if you keep letting us meet here. He was like, deal, no problem. And so they're, they're, they're grateful that we're here, and they want us to keep meeting here. But if you look around, there's one small problem. The space is a little bit small, and we have decisions as a church that we have to make. There's big decisions that are ahead of of our elders and eventually the church body as a whole. We need to just seek God's face and ask for his wisdom like the, the church in Antioch did by worshiping and praying and fasting. We need wisdom in our decision making. We need to be so desperate for Christ, so desperate for his guidance and desperate for his presence. And the spirit of God has just impressed on me here recently. But as a faith family, what we truly need in a time such as this is to humble ourselves and to just beg our God to be manifested to us like he never has before. I believe as a church we need to fast. And so I'm calling for this Sunday, in just two days, a church-wide day of prayer and fasting. Together, humbling ourselves. Together saying we are more desperate for you than we are for anything else, and that includes food. And so some of you are thinking, oh, man, I should have slept in today. I should have gone golfing. I should have just not come. I came on the worst possible Friday. The guys are talking about fasting. And you already checked out. And you're thinking, can I get out of here? I mean, if I get out, they'll see me. It's too small in here. I just want to challenge you to just go on this journey today for the next few minutes from God's word and allow the spirit of God through his word that we just sang, who is his very word spoken to us and that we need him. Allow his word to speak to you. And then at the end of this worship gathering, ask you and your family, not necessarily your children, if they're older, you can talk to them, but the adults in your home, to have the conversation and say, will we fast? Because God's word is clear about this. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what fasting is, why we do it, and then how to do it, and how we're going to do this together as a faith family. Now, I want to go through and give you some characteristics, all right? So there's three. 
three specific characteristics of biblical fasting. And I say that because many religions have fasting as a part of it. And so I'm not talking about how Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims fast. I'm talking about the Word of God, how do believers in Christ who have heard the call of Jesus saying, follow me, and we've responded with, I'm going to follow Jesus. How do we fast? Turn to Matthew 6, and we'll discover that together. And as you're turning there, I'll give you the definition of what fasting, according to the Bible, is. Fasting is a voluntary giving up of food in order to experience greater intimacy with Jesus. And so it's a voluntary giving up of food in order to experience greater intimacy with Jesus. That's why we do it. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, describe to us, there's many passages that we could turn to, Old and New Testament, but we'll pick just one. Matthew 6, 16 says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have received their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You may notice that Jesus says twice in a couple of verses, when you fast. He didn't say if to his followers. He said when. So the assumption is that the followers of Jesus will fast. He never even asks a question, will you? He says, when you do, here's how to do it. So let's look at the three characteristics from God's word on what fasting is. Number one, fasting is internal, not external. Fasting is internal, not external. He tells us to do it in secret. It's a private deeply spiritual, internal matter. As I mentioned, there are many religions, pretty much every single major, and many minor and tribal religions have fasting as a part of their experience. And so you think, well, what is different about the way believers should fast? It's very different. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, and many, many people today, are fasting out of a sense of accomplishment, out of a sense of duty, it's a religious ritual. That's all it is. It's a ritual. You, you're up all night eating, you're asleep all day not eating, and it's nothing more than a ritualistic adherence to a religious system. That is not how we fast. You see, as, as a believer, the idea of fasting for me was so tainted in Ramadan. I lived here for the first time. I just moved here. Within six weeks, we're in Ramadan, and it was painful because I just wanted to go to the store and get a coffee, and I couldn't get one. And I just wanted to go eat lunch or dinner or whatever after church, and it's closed. And it was so frustrating, and so it like, created this anxiety and this frustration, fasting, hate you, fasting. And I'm sure you're similar. But the Bible does not describe fasting as an external demonstration of being religious. 
You see, if you're a Muslim during Ramadan, you have to fast. It's one of the pillars. You're required to, at least on the outside. You can eat in your house, and I'm sure many of them do. Or even if you're fasting, you're just enduring it out of sheer duty because your religion tells you to. It's a ritual. Biblical fasting is not a ritual. It's not a religious thing. It has nothing to do with that. It is deeply internal, not external. There is no room for rituals as a believer and follower of Christ. Listen, there's no room for rituals. It's not about rituals. Here's the key with this first point. Fasting will help you and me to gain greater joy and contentment in Jesus. Fasting helps us to get greater joy and contentment in Jesus. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. Philippians 3, 7 through 8 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Whatever gain I had, whatever this life has to offer, it's rubbish to me compared to simply knowing Jesus. The surpassing worth of simply knowing him. It's all about Jesus. It's about seeing greater worth than him. And the problem with food is that we need it. We need food to live. You don't eat, you're going to die. You don't eat, you won't have any energy. You can't think, you, you can't function. And so God made us to need food. And so food is not evil. The problem is that what we as humans tend to do is that we tend to worship the gift more than the giver of those gifts. And we tend to focus on the gift and food is a gift. And so we tend to find way too much comfort in food. You're stressed out at your desk. You think, I just need some tea. Oh, I just I need to go eat something, some comfort food. Or we find ourselves stressed out and we're looking forward to the next meal. We all do it. So don't look around thinking, man, this is weirdos and this. All of us do it. Every person sitting in this room finds comfort in food. We all do. Some more than others, and sometimes that can even be visible by our appearance. I'm being very frank here. But there's genetics in there too, so lest we be too hard on those that are you know, overweight. The reality is that there's many factors. But all of us find comfort in food. We do. I do. And when we fast, what we're saying is, I will find my comfort in Jesus more than in food. Food is secondary. We, we read, Gus, one of our leaders in our church, read this morning out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. The very same verses that Jesus quoted in Matthew 4 when he was combating Satan, when he was fasting. And he says that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We live not just for food. 
we live for Christ. We eat because we need to, but sometimes we flip that around and we find too much comfort. So the question is, what does your soul crave for? What are you most hungry for? What are you most hungry for? That's a critical question that we really have to ask ourselves. What are we most hungry for? And when you fast, here's what happens. Deep inside of us, all of us have an ache. All of our souls have a pain. And it's the fact that we live in this fallen world, and if you believe in Jesus, you've repented of your sins, you have turned to him in full trust, you love Jesus, and you long to see him. Your heart's desire is to finally see Jesus and to hug him and to hold on to him and to just enjoy him. I would imagine it's not just me, but sometimes the affairs of this world are overwhelming. And I just want to see Jesus. My heart so longs for him to see him more fully, to see him face to face, to see him more gloriously. Now, I have his spirit living inside of me, and so I sense his presence. I know he is with me, so I have that, but I long for more, and I know you do too. And yet, because of our sin, we find ourselves yearning for other things more. We find our hearts yearning for comfort yearning for other things that, quite honestly, this world has to offer that will simply leave us hungry and leave us thirsty and will not satisfy our soul's desire. It won't do it, yet we turn to it. And so our souls are at war. Our souls literally have a battle going on. And when we fast, we are confessing that God is better. God is greater. Contentment and joy in Jesus is better than food. Fasting is a hunger for God himself. And so when you feel that headache, and you will, when you feel weak, and you will, when your stomach hurts and you feel those hunger pangs, and you will, when all you can think about is food, when you get up off of your desk, you walk to the kitchen, whoa, what am I doing? Because it's like autopilot. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to the kitchen. And all of a sudden, you're like, you can't, whoa, what am I doing? I'm fasting today. And when you experience the discomfort, the pain, the headache, and you think, oh, if I could just have a burger, I'd be great. When you're in the middle of that agony, you pray. You say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm desperate for you, for your holy presence that's living in me. Jesus, you are my daily bread. Jesus, I can't do it without you. And it's not about a ritual. It's about your heart. It's internal, not external. You see, prayer and fasting, Bible, always go hand in hand. You never see prayer and fasting. If you ever see fasting, prayer is right there. Because that's what prayer and fasting do, is fasting is the exclamation point at the end of your prayer. 
You are saying, Jesus, I need you, exclamation point. Jesus, I want you, exclamation point. Jesus, I am so weak, exclamation point. Jesus, I am so human, and I can't face this life alone. I can't do what you want me to do on my own. I so need you, exclamation point. And that's what fasting does, is it puts our soul in the position to be reminded of how weak we really are. I can't go three hours without eating? Really? I can't even go more than two hours without wanting to eat or drink something. And when I fast, I'm reminded of how much I need Jesus. It's powerful. Truly powerful. But it's deeply internal. What does your heart long for the most? Fasting allows you to focus on Jesus more because when we are fasting, we tend to focus more because we remember our need. So before we go on to the next point, the second characteristic, I just want to clarify one thing because Jesus clearly says, do it in secret. And here we are calling for a church-wide day of prayer and fasting. You think, well, that's pretty public. We're fasting on a Sunday. You know, that's a weekday. I'm working. I'll be in the office or wherever. And if people see me skip lunch, and I'm and instead of eating physically, I'm feeding my soul from God's word. I'm reading the Bible instead of eating. And so people will maybe see that and say, hey, why aren't you having lunch today? And then we fear that if we get caught fasting, it somehow negates the fast. Oh, no, I lost my points. No, it's not about points. It's not external. It's about having your heart more tuned to Christ. If someone catches you not eating, you just tell them, yes, I'm fasting today. Really? Yes. With my church family. We want God to guide us. And I want to be more hungry for him. And I'm desperate for Jesus. And so today, I'm focusing on him and on nothing else. Use it as an opportunity. Remember, here's the point. It's your heart. It's your motives. And so we fast for God. And so some people fast to be seen. And so that's not the point here. There's a difference between fasting to be seen, like the Pharisees did, versus being seen, fasting. Make sense? Big difference. So if you're seen fasting, that's okay. The point is your heart. Not parading it. Hey, hey, I'm fasting today. I'm more spiritual than you. That's not the goal. So it's internal, not external. All right, second characteristic. Fasting is for God's glory, not my accomplishment. Fasting is for God's glory. You could say not my glory. It's for God's glory, not my accomplishment. Remember what he said in verse 16. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites do. He says, for they disfigure their faces, and their fast may be seen by others. The goal is pride in being seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so if you read, don't have time this morning, but in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and following, the Apostle Paul describes how fasting can actually become a source of pride. These religious rituals, and it just puffs us up. And, and so the goal of fasting is not your pride. It's not your accomplishment. You fast for the glory of God. You see, these leaders, these hypocrites, as Christ refers to them, 
they would fast twice a week. And they made sure everyone knew it. I am more spiritual than you, as evidenced by my fasting twice a week. How much do you fast? Oh, you, you don't fast. Oh, you're just a little weak human. I'm a superhuman. I'm super spiritual because I fast twice a week. And it was about their accomplishment, their religious duty. It was about their glory, not the glory of God. You see, every religion on this planet that seeks fasting, aside from the way believers do it, which is about the heart, at its root, why do they fast? Why do Hindus, Muslims, especially in our context, living in Abu Dhabi, why do they fast? To earn points, to earn their salvation. They do it to impress God. They do it because they're trying to save themselves. You see, as believers, the Bible is very clear that you and I cannot save ourselves. We have sinned, and we stand shamed and convicted by a holy God. There is nothing you can do to undo your sin. You cannot earn God's favor. You can't earn enough points. It's impossible. We've broken God's laws, and James 2 says that if you break one, you're accountable for all of them. We stand convicted by a holy God, and there is no way we can earn enough points. Not eating changes nothing about your spiritual standing before God. If you're a believer in Christ, then you are saved, you are forgiven, you, you have eternal security, you will not lose your salvation. Fasting does not impress God. It doesn't impress him. That's not why you fast. You don't fast to get points. You fast for relationship. You fast for intimacy with Jesus. You fast because you want to be put in a position to say, I want you more and be reminded of my sin. It is, and my weakness, it is about the glory of God being displayed in the gospel. It is not about my accomplishments. It's not about my moral or my religious accomplishment. You see, in 1 Peter 4, it says, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ. That includes fasting. Fasting is for the glory of Christ. And what is the key in the second point? You attack your sin. The key here is you attack your sin. Fasting is an outright attack, assault, on the sin that is deep in our own hearts. That's what fasting does. You see, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, I'll read that to you. Paul's describing our sin, and he's describing something very important that we need to understand in how fasting helps us. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, that would include eating. Lawful to eat. You, you can eat, that's fine. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but listen, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Yes, you can eat, and it's not unspiritual to eat, by the way. It's not. I just want you to know that. Believers are not about this religious asceticism, if you will. What we are about is knowing and enjoying Jesus. And fasting helps us to not be enslaved by anything, not food, not anything. It reminds us about the need for Jesus. And so to want Jesus is to hate your sin. 
this is important, for us to truly yearn and want Jesus means that we hate our sin and we want to have less of it and have more purity and more closeness with Christ. And sin becomes a barrier that gets in the way. And truly, we, we do know this, especially if you're married. You know, husbands, when you offend your wife, when you forget something or her birthday or anniversary or when, when you just offend her, that night, where are you sleeping? In the bed? Probably on the couch. Why? Why aren't you close to your wife? Because you offended her. Because your sin has become a wedge. Now, I'm not advocating couch sleeping. You should come together and reconcile and be in the same bed that night. So I'm not saying that you should. I'm being descriptive, not prescriptive here, for the record. But my point is that when we offend other people, it creates a wedge. It creates distance in our relationships. Same thing with God. And so when we fast, we're attacking our sin, and we're saying, Jesus, I need you. You see, some people think fasting is a license to be a jerk. They think, oh, I'm fasting today, so I can be irritable, and I can drive poorly, and I can be impatient, because woe is me, I'm fasting. You don't have a license to be a jerk or be difficult when you're fasting, it should be quite the opposite. You need to attack that sinfulness and that impatience. And fasting is a tool that we use for the battle. And so number one, fasting is internal, not external. Number two, fasting is about God's glory in our lives, not about our accomplishments. Number three, fasting is a gift from God. Fasting is a gift from God it's not a means to get something from him. Hear me. Fasting is a gift from God, not a means to get something from him. Matthew 6, verse 18. The passage we've been reading here this morning. Verse 18. Your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So he says that we do it in secret and he's going to reward us. But I just said that we don't fast to get anything from God. And I, just, I started the message by saying we as a church need something from God. We need direction and we need wisdom. We need more of his presence. And so we need these things, and so we're going to fast. But then I'm saying, no, 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 fasting is a gift from God. It is not a means to get anything from him. What exactly is this reward that Jesus is talking about here? We read it in Philippians chapter 3 just a few minutes ago, verses 7 and 8. That I may know Jesus the surpassing worth of simply having Jesus. What is a reward that you get when you fast? More of God's presence. You experience Jesus more intimately than ever before. More intimacy with Jesus. The reward that you get is Jesus. More of him. Less of your sin and more of his holy presence living in us. That's the reward of fasting. A fuller manifestation of who Christ is. 
This is important because some people think that when they fast, it's like magic. Oh, I said the magic words. So something should change now. Like my little girl loves Cinderella, and she loves all princesses. She's a princess. She's fine. And so she loves the part where the fairy godmother comes out, and she can't find her wand. Oh, she finds a wand lost in her sleeve, and she says, oh, what were those, what were those magic words? Oh, yes, bippity-boppity-boo. And she says the magic words, and then things fly out, sparkles fly out of her wand with the magic words, and then what happens? The pumpkin becomes a carriage, and the mice become beautiful horses, and things just start magically changing because she said the magic words. And we approach fasting the same way. We think, well, I fasted. Well, God, why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? Fasting is not a way to coerce or somehow manipulate or force God to do what we want. God will not be manipulated. God's never in the corner. You're not going to force God's hand. Fasting is a gift because it allows us to remember our weakness and remember the power of God and we can better focus on him, have our hearts more attuned to him. We have more of his presence, more holiness. And he, through his spirit, as we are yielded and humbling ourselves to him, he will provide, he will guide on his terms, not ours. We don't coerce God. We don't fast to force his hand. We fast to humble ourselves. God, we're here. God, we need you. Will you please show up? We're, we just want your glory. So the key here is to seek his guidance as we're humbling ourselves. So when we pray, when we fast, we're saying, I want you more, Jesus. And we yield to him. And he'll guide us. And he'll provide on his terms, not ours. And so as we close, I want to give you some brief thoughts, just practical, okay, on how to do it. This won't take long, but this is important for some of you because this is your first time. You haven't fasted before. You've heard of it, maybe. But don't fully understand, well, how does this actually work? What is the application? The Bible describes three basic kinds of fasts, okay? The first one is called a normal fast. This is like, for example, in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is fasting for 40 days. And this fast, it says he was hungry, but the text never says that he was thirsty. And so we, we can assume that Jesus did drink, but did not eat. That was a pretty normal fast. And so you, you, can, you can eat, you can drink, but just don't eat that day. Second fast, what you might call a partial fast. A partial fast, and people like John the Baptist and Daniel, they had a limited diet. They still ate just, you know, bugs and honey. Or, or you know, Daniel and his friends ate, drank only water and only vegetables. And so they were fasting from proteins and meat, and, and so that was still a, a fast, but it was a partial fast. And so they still ate and drank, but only water, no lattes, you know, they didn't drink any tea with milk in it. They just drank water and just ate vegetables. It's a partial fast. But you'll still be hungry, trust me. The, the third kind is an absolute fast. This is with Esther, with Ezra. It says they did not eat nor drink anything. 
complete absolute fast. And so if you have health problems, don't, I don't recommend an absolute fast. I, I, I don't. I would pray about possibly either a partial fast, maybe just juices or just fruits or fruits and vegetables or something that's scaled down so that you're still going to feel those hunger pangs, be reminded of your weakness and God's greatness, but you're not going to risk your health by fasting, you know, an absolute fast. The point here is really, honestly, it's not about food, just to make it clear. I'll talk about fasting. It isn't about food. It's about anything or everything that becomes a substitute for God in your life. Fasting is about anything and everything that becomes a substitute for God himself in your life. And so maybe for you, you need to fast from media. Maybe the Facebook has to be shut down for 24 hours. And for you, that's harder than the lattes. Maybe for you, it's no video games. Maybe it's no television. Maybe no checking your email. Now, if you have work duties, that's fine. But what I'm saying is whatever your soul yearns for and finds comfort in, put it on the altar. Fast from it. And say, today... I will not look for comfort in this. I will look to you alone, Jesus, and I will kill the counterfeits, the substitute gods in my life. I give them up because I want you more, and I want to be in a position where I'm reminded of my weakness so that I can want you more. It can be media. It can be anything, okay? And so we're not being legal. This is not a ritual. It's internal, not external. So it's not about saying, well, today I fasted an absolute fast. What about you? No, that's not the goal. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about your pride. It's about your heart before God. So it's up to you. We're not going to legislate or force it or anything like that. My, my wife said, I want to fast from washing dishes. <laughs> and I told her, well, we're not going to eat, but the kids will, and there's still stuff that gets dirty. And I said, well, does your heart just yearn? You just love washing dishes? She's like, I hate washing dishes. I was like, we need to wash more dishes then. No, I'll wash dishes that day. But point is, give something up so you can then focus on Christ. That is the goal. On the back, you will see some maps, back table. Directions to Ray and Daisy DeLaco's house. He's one of our elders. He's up here at the front. Ray and Daisy opened up their home for us to come together on Sunday evening at 7 p.m. And we're going to come when we're weak and when we're hungry and we're physically in pain. We're going to all come together and we're going to pray. And we're going to beg God for his presence. We're going to beg God for his wisdom. We're going to humble ourselves together as a faith family and say, Jesus, we can't do this alone. And so the way it would work is you would have a normal dinner tomorrow night, Saturday evening. But if you want to be 24 hours, it would be around 7 p.m., no more eating. Again, this is not about the ritual. It's about your heart. And then we're going to break the fast together on Sunday evening after we pray. So we're going to pray hungry first. Feed our souls. 
come together saying, we're more hungry for you, Jesus, than we even are for food. And pray together. And then we'll have some very spiritual, healthy pizza afterwards that, that we'll eat together and fellowship and enjoy the friendships God's given us to enjoy so that we can then truly be on mission and truly leave a mark on this place to say we're about making disciples and we need you, Jesus. We need your wisdom. Where, where's our church going to gather? And are we going to have different services? Are we going to go plant more churches? Or, there's so many options for us. And honestly, as an elder body, we're just saying we're making no decisions. We don't know. We want God's wisdom. Let's pray. Please bow your heads at this time and close your eyes. Maybe if you're here this morning and maybe this whole conversation has been a bit confusing to you. Maybe you're just pretty mute at church. And this whole thing about God sees your heart and no religion, no rituals, just knowing Jesus is just very new to you. You need to know that God loves you. And Jesus came and died on the cross in your place, was resurrected by the power of God because he loves you. He died in your place. He paid the penalty that you could never pay. He earned the points you could never earn. And all he asks is you repent, turn away from your sin, and turn to him with complete trust and make him your heart's desire. And if you have more questions about what it means to truly repent and believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. There are some cards in the back, and, and you can fill one out or come talk to me, and we'll follow up with you and help you in this journey. If you are a believer, I want to challenge you to truly fast in two days, whatever that looks like for you. Do it for his glory. Father, we are so humbled by you, by your greatness, by your goodness. We are humbled that you would save us, that you would give us the absolute privilege of knowing you and not demanding rituals or religion from us, but simply a relationship empowered by your spirit who lives inside of us. And so this morning, we cry out that we need you, Jesus. We need you. We are weak. We yearn to humble ourselves and just beg you for your presence, for your guidance. Our only reward is just more of you. pray you would help us, Father, as we embark on this journey of fasting. Empower us. Help us to not do it out of ritual or drudgery or duty, but out of just delight to draw closer to you. Thank you for our faith family. Empower us to go boldly and to truly make disciples for you and for your glory. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name, amen.